Thanks for tuning in to Dream City Omaha Online. Connect further with us by downloading the Dream City Omaha app or finding us on Facebook and Instagram. Don't forget to subscribe for more. My hope today is, is we're not all the way through, but I'm going to borrow the next few days of reading and, and drag the end of Leviticus into today. And my hope is to, to go kind of, kind of through Leviticus 1 through 27. And it's a lot, but we're going to go Maverick style, Top Gun. Like we're requesting a flyby. Let us just buzz the tower quick enough to get an idea of what it looks like, what it means, how it applies to us. What's the big idea here? And then let's just move on to numbers, okay? So that's what we're, that's what we're, we're going to do today. Now, I understand Leviticus is a hard book. And if I were to pull you and ask, what is your favorite book? There would probably nobody would respond with Leviticus, right? Like we would get answers like the Gospel of John. We would get the Psalms. We, we would get maybe Exodus, maybe 1 Samuel, because we, we like the, the story of King David. Or, you know, we get these different books of the Bible. But I would venture to say none of us would choose Leviticus as our one and favorite book. And it's okay. But what we have to understand is, I think, I think as, as New Testament believers, it's very easy for us to look back on the Mosaic law and say, well, that doesn't apply to me anymore. So what do I need to read that for? What do I need to study that for? Why do I need to know about the sacrifices and the feasts and the priests and the altar and the tab? Why, why do I need to know all of that? And I told you last week, because Jesus said that he came not to abolish the law, but to what? To fulfill the law. And if we don't understand the law, we'll never understand what Jesus fulfilled. So if you want to have a true understanding of the work of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and then through his resurrection, then you need to understand the Mosaic law. And it doesn't apply to us in the sense that we don't need to bring sacrifices of bulls and goats today, but it applies to us in the sense that Jesus paid that price for us so that we can walk in newness of life today. And so I want us to, to kind of we're going to fly over and we'll might, you know, we might dip down every now and then to get a closer look, but, but want to give you the, the foundation of recognizing Leviticus is a very important book. Of the 39 Old Testament books, what we find is in the New Testament, Leviticus is the sixth most referenced or quoted book in the writings of the New Testament. We have the Psalms, we have the prophet Isaiah, we have Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, and then Leviticus is the sixth most quoted. In fact, four of the top six most quoted books in the New Testament are all from the Pentateuch or the Torah, the first five books, the law that God gave to Moses. Why? Because Jesus in the New Testament came to fulfill that, and if you don't understand that, then you won't understand what Jesus fulfilled. So we're gonna be looking at Leviticus, and, and if you've been like, wondering when are we going to be done? Wednesday's the last day. So in our reading plan, Wednesday, we move into the book of Numbers. Now, for those of you that are single, this is going to be perfect for you. And I'm going to give you this today and this will be free. If you're single here today and you know somebody that's single and you've kind of had your eye on them and you're not sure how to like break the ice with them, here's what you're going to do. You're just going to go up to them and you're going to say, hey, my church started reading the book of Numbers today and I realized I don't have yours. I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, if you're looking for a very easy icebreaker just to start conversation, and if, if they know what you're talking about, guess what? They're going to laugh just like you did, and now, listen, now you're in. 
Like, how do you think I got angel 20 years ago? I told her, like, hey, I'm reading numbers and I don't have yours. That was for, that was for free today. As we look at Leviticus, we, we see in the context of the story, in Genesis, humanity has sinned and God has kind of taken a step back, having planted them in the garden and then through the tower of, of Babel, he scattered them, he confused them, he takes a step back from humanity. He finds Abraham and says, Abraham, through you, I'm going to bless the entire world. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cause you to, to be the father of many nations, the people set apart for me. In Exodus, we see those people imprisoned, enslaved in Egypt. God comes down through Moses and redeems them. So humanity has fallen, but then humanity is redeemed. And they are led into the wilderness by Moses, complaining and grumbling every step of the way. Last week, we saw the golden calf that they made, where God was meeting on Mount Sinai with Moses to give him the Ten Commandments. And as that is happening, they're literally in the camp burning down their earrings and their jewelry. And last week, Aaron was like, I just put it in there and poof, out came this golden calf. They begin worshiping it. And so God says, I've brought you out here for a reason. I've delivered you and set you free for a purpose because God's deliverance is never just from something, but it is always for something. I brought you out here to worship me, and now that I've given you the instructions and the how-to, you are worshiping this idol, and that's where we find Leviticus. God comes and he says, I want you to make me a dwelling place. Build me a, a tabernacle. You're all living in tents. I'm going to live in a tent right in the middle of you so that my presence can dwell again with my people. It's what God wanted in the garden. He would come and he would walk the garden with Adam and Eve, but because of their sin, they're removed. And now God is coming back to once again dwell with his people. But the question that Leviticus answers is how can a holy and righteous God dwell amongst an unholy and unrighteous people? How can the creator of the universe who is holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, and, and completely pure dwell amongst such filthy people? And the answer to that question really is the book of Leviticus. God comes and he gives them the sacrificial system for multiple reasons, because they needed order. They needed boundaries. They were enslaved for 400 years and were always told what to do and when to do and how to do it, what not to do. They had the slave masters controlling every aspect of their daily lives. Now they are walking in freedom through the wilderness and they don't know what it means to be free. Listen, when God comes and delivers you from anything, there has to be very clear boundaries and order established in your life. Otherwise, we just run rampant. Without vision, people run wild. When you can't see what God is doing, you'll run all over the place. And so God's saying, listen, I need, to, I need to give you some boundaries so that as you're walking this journey of freedom, you don't go crazy to ensure that every aspect of their daily life was focused around him. Like when you read Leviticus, there was not a day or a minute or an hour that would go by that they didn't think, is this clean, is this unclean? Is this going to defile me? Am I going to defile the sacred space? Is this going to make me incapable of presenting an offering? Do I need to leave the camp? Can I stay in the camp? To the point where if there's mold growing in your houses, every aspect of their daily lives, and as New Testament believers, every aspect of your life should be centered and focused around him as well. Why? Because that's worship. 
What we worship, we center ourselves around. And listen, if your life is centered around your job, then your job is what you worship. If your life is centered around sports, then sports is what you worship. If your life is centered around your significant other, then that person is the golden calf that you have established. And God is coming and saying, that's not right. That's not right. That's not how we, not how we do this. It was to maintain purity. It was to, to establish rules. And here's what I've learned about rules. Like, it would be very easy for us to read Leviticus and be like, man, God was just like, just a bummer. Like all these rules and don't do this and you can't eat that. Like, why can't I have bacon? Like, what? Like, no bacon? Like, God, really? Like, God just wants to suck the fun out of my life. And listen, it's not just the Old Testament because I know people today who have, who have began their walk with the Lord and have read the, the life that they are called to live through the Spirit. And it's like, wait, why can't I do that anymore? Why can't I do what I want to do anymore? Why can't I go out with my friends anymore? Why can't, I, why can't I sleep around anymore? Why can't I continue to leave that? Because you've been called to be set apart just as the Israelites were. And so there's this system to establish order and boundaries and rules. And it's not that God wanted to suck the fun out of their lives. But what I've learned is as a parent, when I was, kid, when I was, when I was younger, I would look at my parents like, man, you're just, you're just no fun. Like I never get to do anything. My friends get to do this. <laughs> my mom shared the story. I don't know if I've ever shared it on a Sunday, but my baseball team, when I was, when I was 13, 14 years old, played on a, a traveling baseball team, and our sponsor for our team was Hooters. <laughs> Stay classy, Albuquerque. Sponsor was Hooters, and so we had the Hooters logo on our baseball bags as 13-year-old kids. I know. They paid the money, so hey. But we went on a tournament one time and they're all like, hey, we're going to, since they're our sponsor, we're going to go to Hooters to eat. My mom's like, you ain't going nowhere. You get you a pizza. Like, there's a pizza hut on the corner. And I'm like, mom, the entire team is going. She's like, you ain't going. And I remember the moment like, oh, I don't get to go to Hooters, right? Like, and it's just, as as a kid, you look at your parents and the rules and the boundaries and the things, and it's like, gosh, man, you don't want me to have any fun. And now as a parent, what I've learned <laughs> is it's not about sucking the fun, son. It's not about sucking the fun out of your life. It's to give you boundaries and guardrails and protections so that one day, hopefully, you'll be a contributing member of society. Like one day this little human being that I've created will grow up into a bigger human being that hopefully can take care of himself and move out of my house. Yeah. <laughs> like as we read Leviticus, it would be very easy to read it as like God laying all of these rules to just suck the fun out and not let them do anything. But it wasn't that. It was a loving God coming and saying, because I am holy and because you are so not holy. And because I want to live with you and I want you to experience my presence and I want to, to commune and fellowship and be in relationship with you, the only way for that to happen is for you to maintain purity and cleanliness and be consecrated unto me. Because if that doesn't happen, then I'm going to have to leave. So it wasn't that God was this strict taskmaster. 
But it was God as a holy and loving father saying, I want to be with my people. That's the the heart of Leviticus. Now, as we get into it, we have to understand a, a very important concept, and that is the holiness of God. Now, to be holy means to be set apart. And when it pertains to God's holiness, it's so much more than just God being set apart from humanity. It's, it's the, the transcendence of God, that he is so much bigger than, than anything we could even imagine. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. He's, he's above all, and he's, he's through all, and yet he's in all. And he's, he's apart from creation because he's the one who, by his very word, spoke and creation happened. And so, so he's, he's here, but he's different. He's with us, but he's not us. And and it's this, this idea of him being completely and utterly pure and righteous and us being not. Not only is God holy, but anywhere that God is, is automatically holy. When Moses was before the burning bush, God told Moses to remove your sandals. Why? Because the ground that you are on is holy ground. Why? Because I am here. And because I am here, this is holy. So when God says to the nation of Israel that I'm going to dwell among you and my tabernacle is going to be here, then that means that God is holy, this is holy, and anywhere that God's presence is now is automatically holy. Now the question is, if he is holy and his presence is holy and now this ground is holy and this camp is holy and all of this is holy, but I'm not holy, what do I have to do? Leviticus. All of this is answered in the book of Leviticus, and it's a bloody mess. There's blood everywhere. Somebody, I was getting my hair cut by my, my sister-in-law this week, and she's like, Leviticus is just bloody. She said it like that too, just bloody. I'm like, yeah, it is bloody. Why? Because sin is costly. When they came with their sacrifices and they sacrificed the the bull at the altar was a reminder, like, this is my bull that I have to sacrifice. This is costing me something. And this is creating a mess. Could you imagine the smells and the flies and the sights and the, just like, the, even the sounds, right? Like, close your eyes and just imagine approaching the altar and you're just like stepping on gut piles and it's just like, and like your feet are sinking down in right? Like it creates this image. Why? Because every time I go to present my offering, I'm reminded of how costly and, 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 and ugly and dirty my sin is. And yet at the same time, I'm reminding of God's grace and the atonement that is being made for my for my sin. As we, we read the, the book of Leviticus, it's kind of arranged. I told you when we read through Job that it was, it was a chiasm. It was a, a mirror image of itself. And as we read Leviticus, it's arranged very similarly. Chapters 1 through 7, we see ritual. Chapters 8 through 10, we talk about the priesthood. 11 through 15 is, is ceremonial purity or ritual purity. The day of atonement in the middle, which is the crux, the theological crux of the book of Leviticus. 
And then we kind of work our way back. We talk again about purity where this was ceremonial purity. This is moral purity because the first half of the book is answering the question, how can I as a sinful person approach God? The, the last half is how can I as, as a sinful but yet redeemed and sanctified person walk with God? Now we're talking about moral purity and qualifications for the priesthood. And then we finish with ritual feasts. We, we talk about the seven feasts that God uh, ordains and gives them. And then the, it, it ends chapters 26 and 27 spoiler alert for those of you that haven't read it yet. It ends with God's blessings and his cursings. And if you do this, this is what's going to happen. If you don't do it, this is what's going to happen. Then the book ends. And, and one interesting observation, if you'll, if you'll look at it, and, and we won't pull it up here today, but we know the system worked because in, in Leviticus 1, the Bible says this, that the Lord spoke to Moses from the tent of meeting. That's how the book of Leviticus starts. Because they've sinned with the golden calf. God's come down. He says, build my tabernacle. His presence has come down on the tabernacle. Leviticus starts and says, the Lord speaks to Moses from the tent of meeting. He establishes the ritual law, the ritual sacrifices. And then in the very next book, Numbers chapter one, verse one, it says this, then the Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting. So before God saying, Moses, you have to stay out here because this place is sacred. This place is holy. This place is set apart to you. To me, I will talk to you from here. But now through atonement, Moses, may you enter my presence and let's speak as friends speak face to face. It's an interesting, interesting little nugget there if you, if you are able to pick up on that. But as we, we look at it, we, we see first ritual sacrifices. This answers the question, how can I be close to God? Leviticus chapter four, verse 20 says that in, in this way, the priest will make atonement for the community and they will be forgiven. So there were five sacrifices. There was the, the burnt offering. There was the grain, the fellowship or the peace offering. And then the sin and the guilt offering. Three of these sacrifices were simply just God, thank you. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for your presence here. Thank you that we're your people. Thank you for, for remembering the covenant. The last two were God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for sin that maybe I didn't know that I did. I'm sorry for sin that I know that I did. And the last two were to atone for sin. The words offering and sacrifice appear 192 times in Leviticus. Why? Because where there is sin, there must be payment. Where there is sin, there must be payment. Because of God's holiness, where there is sin, I want you to get this, there must be payment. And the payment for sin is what? Blood. Blood. Right? Like you guys, you guys remember that old video? Blood. That was the payment. That was the only payment that got accepted for sin. Hebrews chapter 9 tells us this. It says that, that without the shedding of blood, go and put that verse up there. According to the law of Moses. There you go. Everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now, if you, if you like no shame, if you skipped over Leviticus, like, Pastor, I'll be back when we get to Numbers or Deuteronomy or Joshua, like, preferably Joshua. But if you skipped over Leviticus, I would say at least go back and read Hebrews. Hebrews is in the New Testament. If you did read Leviticus and you want to understand it better, read through Hebrews. Why? Because Hebrews is essentially a New Testament commentary on Leviticus. But if you don't understand it, you won't fully grasp what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. But we see that, that blood is required for for sin, blood is the payment that is given. In chapters 8 through 10, we see the priesthood and we see the ordination of, of Aaron and his children. And this answers the question, well, who can approach God for me? 
How can I approach God? It's with sacrifice. Today, as you approach God, we offer sacrifice as well. We don't have to kill goats and bulls, but Romans tells us this, that now in light of God's mercy to offer ourselves, our bodies, every part of us as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, this is your true and proper worship because we're not under the old system anymore, but now as an act of worship and sacrifice, I bring myself. So how do I approach God? How do I be close to God through sacrifice? Who can go to God for me? The priests. Because he is holy and I'm not holy. There has to be this mediator, this go-between that I'll bring my sacrifice to them and then let them go into God's presence. Because if I do as unholy and unrighteous as I am, I know that I will be slain the moment I walk into God's presence. We see that even with two of Aaron's sons, they, they go in and they, they do part of the ritual wrong and God's presence consumes them. Put to that, in that moment, God's presence is beautiful, but God's presence is dangerous as well. Like we want to marvel at the Shekinah glory that we sing about, but the reality is without the covering of the blood of Jesus, if I were to try and step into the presence of God, I would be struck down because of the holiness of God. And so who can go to God for me? It's the priest. And he, he tells Aaron, he says, you and your sons, who can be a priest? Not just anybody. Like you couldn't just be like, hey, I want to be a priest. No, you had to have the right genes and the right genes were Levi's. <laughs> Who's on the drums today? Justin Fisher, where you at? You had to have the right genes and they had to be Levi's and some of you were like, I don't get it. You're giving yourself away that you didn't do your reading this week. But because here's what the Bible says, that, that only... Only Aaron and his sons, only those from the tribe of Levi. So genes, not J-E-A-N-S, but G-E-N-E-S, genes, Levi. If you're from the tribe of Levi, then you could be ordained, then you could, could act as a priest and operate in God's presence and, and make sacrifices on behalf of the people. So we see the, the priesthood. We see ritual purity in chapters 11 through 15. This says, how can, I, how can I be clean before God? And this is where a lot of people kind of get thrown off because it's talking about the animals that, that are clean, the animals that are unclean. It talks about those that you can eat, those that you can't eat. We get into like the, the, the birthing process and how there's clean, the, that makes you unclean. We talk about childbirth. We talk about skin diseases talk about touching dead things. We talk, talk about mold and mildews. We talk about reproductive fluids and it just gets kind of graphic. And it's just like, why is all of this in there? Why is all this in there? Leviticus chapter 11 tells us, God says to them, I'm, I'm giving you this, why? To consecrate yourselves so that you can be holy because I am holy. Again, holiness is set apart. It's that consecration. God says, I am different, and therefore, as my people, you must be different. Now, understand it in context of Revelation. Understand it in context of the, the entirety of Scripture. He's redeemed them. He's set them free. He's giving them structure to maintain freedom. But he's calling them into this promised land where there are people who are living that are sexually immoral and impure and worshiping all of these other gods and doing all of these other things. And so God is saying, before I can take you to where I want you to go, you have to be consecrated because I'm calling you to be different than, not the same as. Again, Romans, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind. It's the same for us. No, there is not clean or unclean because God said to Peter, don't call unclean that which I have made clean. 
because of the blood of Jesus, now it's, it's all clean. We don't have to worry about, did, did this bird land on me? And now I have to leave the camp and I've touched a dead thing, so I'll see you tonight. Like, we don't have to worry about that. But, but it's important to understand that this, this ritual purity was not permanent. It was temporary. Typically, most of the time, it was just like, leave town, come back after the sun goes down. Then you're good. Like, in my mind, there's like this waiting room out there, and there's just a bunch of people just waiting for the sun to go down. Like, all right, now I can go home. Because it wasn't, it wasn't sin. It wasn't, it wasn't a sin to be impure, ritually. It was a sin not to take care of it. It was a sin to ignore it. But, but the impurity came about just through daily life, like childbirth. Like, it's not a sin. But he's saying it's making you ritually unclean, ceremonially unclean. You can't access my presence in this state. So leave, wash, cleanse, and then come back. And so, so we see this, this idea of ritual purity. Chapter 16, 17, we get to, again, the theological crux of the book of Leviticus. This is the Day of Atonement. Day of Atonement was one day a year where the, the high priest would be able to go into the Holy of Holies. Now, in the tabernacle, there were, there were different areas. There was the, the, the courtyard where the altar was, and anybody could access the courtyard. Any, any, any Israelite could access this is where they would offer their sacrifices. They'd come to the altar. They'd, they'd present their, their sacrifice. The priest would, would perform the, the ceremony and make the, the sacrifice. Within the, the tent itself was the, the holy place. And within the holy place was the, the wash basin. It was the, the lampstand. The bread was there as well. We see the instructions given to Moses at the end of the book of Exodus. And then there was another curtain and then past that curtain. So there's the, 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 the courtyard, there's the holy place, and then there's the most holy place or the holy of holies. This is where the, the presence of God, the literal physical manifestation of God's presence would dwell. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was held. And in one day a year, on the Day of Atonement, what would happen is the priest would come. He would first make a sin offering for himself and his family in case there was anything that, that he needed to, 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 to be atoned for. And, and as he did that, he would then take these two goats for the entire nation of Israel, and he would cast lots. Now, what does it mean to cast lots? When you think of cast lots, just think of this, biblical rock, paper, scissor. Like, essentially, that's what it is. It was a way of them to, like, to determine God's will in something. They then would later use it in gambling, neither here nor there. But they, they would cast lots, and however these lots fell, one of these goats would be used for sacrifice, and one of these goats would be what, what we call today the scapegoat. And what would happen is, however the lots fell, he would take the goat for sacrifice. He would offer sacrifice for the goat. He would then take the blood into the, not just the holy place, but the one day a year that he could access the holy of holies. He would go into the holy of holies. He would sprinkle the blood on the Ark of the Covenant, sprinkle it before the Ark of the Covenant, come out, place it on the altar and sprinkle blood on the altar. And then he would take the, the live goat and he would place his hands on the live goat and he would speak all of the sins of the nation of Israel onto this live goat. And then this live goat would be led out into the wilderness. In the original language, it's the goat for Azazel. We've translated it as scapegoat. That's where we get the, the term scapegoat from. So one, one goat would be sacrificed and his blood would be used to purify the sacred space. And the other, his this goat would be upon him, place the sins of the nation, and he would be led out into the wilderness. Now, why is this important? It's important because we see Christ in all of it. 
It's important for us today because Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And he didn't just uh, fulfill an aspect of the law, but he fulfilled every part of the law. And so one day a year, the nation of Israel, their sins would be removed from the camp and the sacred space would be purified from their sins. From there, we go back into purity. We talk about moral purity in chapters 18 through 20. Talks about sexual purity, justice, caring for the poor. 21 through 22, qualifications for the priesthood. Chapters 23 through 25, we get into the feast. Passover, first harvest, weeks, trumpets, etc., etc. If you haven't read it, would encourage you to read it. Um, today, I want to I want to just a couple things. Okay, so that's kind of like vroom. We've gone over Leviticus. Essentially, that's the book. Why? Because God is holy and you are not. Because God wants to dwell with his people. And if God's holy and his people are not holy, how can an unholy people approach a most holy God? Leviticus, through sacrifice, through ceremony, through ritual. Now, a couple of things that I want to draw your attention to for us today as we, as we sit as New Testament believers. The, the first thing is this, the sacrificial system. It doesn't make sense to us because we don't sacrifice animals. But I think a lot of times what happens is when we read the sacrifice in the Old Testament, we do it a disservice because we read it with a New Testament lens, which isn't, it's not bad, but we will never fully understand until we understand as an Israelite understood. If we don't get what it meant for them, then we'll never recognize the fullness of what Jesus did. And so the sacrificial system, I want you to, to get this today. The sacrificial system was not about cleansing the people. It was about cleansing the sacred space in which God dwelt. Their sins being forgiven was simply a byproduct of the atonement made, because to atone means to cover or to purge. And so when the atonement was made, as the sacrifices were offered, not just on the day of atonement, but the daily sacrifices as well, the priest would take the blood from the sacrifice and apply it to what? To the sacred things. He would take the blood, he'd pour it on the altar. He'd take the blood into the holy place. He'd apply it at the, the table of incense. He would, he would take the blood and he would apply it on all of the holy things. Blood was never applied to the sinner. Never. But today for us, we read that and it's like, oh, they were, they were offering sacrifices so they could be cleansed of their sin. No, they weren't. Because they weren't cleansed of their sins. They were forgiven of their sins so that God's presence could maintain its space in their, in their midst. Their sins were covered and atoned for and purged. The, the holy space was purged of the defilement of their sins. But as sinners, their sins were not cleansed. They walked with it. Why? Because the blood was not a, uh, it wasn't applied to them. It was applied to the holy things. In God's instructions, he was always saying, do this because the people's sins will defile my space. Look at it, Leviticus chapter 15. Go ahead and put that verse up there. This is how you will guard the people from ceremonial uncleanness. Otherwise they would die for their impurity would defile my tabernacle. You need to cleanse them. Otherwise they'll die because they're defiling 
MySpace, chapter 16, the Day of Atonement. Through this process, he will purify the most holy place and he will do the same for the entire tabernacle because of the defiling sin and rebellion of the Levites. So here he's saying, listen, we need to like hit the reset button and make sure everything is clean so that I can maintain my presence among you. Otherwise, if we just let this sin go, I'm going to have to leave. Adam and Eve in the garden, it's holy ground. Why? Because God's presence is there. They sin, they're defiled. What does God do? He says, you got to go. Why? Because your sin, not just that it's defiled you, but your sin has defiled my space and I can't allow that. So now he comes and he gives them the system for cleansing the sacred space. Now, as New Testament believers, here's the good news is that God's presence went from the tabernacle, the tent, the Ark of the Covenant, to then the temple that Solomon built and then later was rebuilt, this place of worship to where now when Jesus comes in John chapter one, it says that God came and he made his dwelling among us as Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. But then as Jesus ascends into heaven, he says, stay here until you receive the promised Holy Spirit. Why? Because now our temple, our our bodies are the temple of the Spirit. So the cleansing of sacred space went from the tabernacle, because that's that's holy, that's God's space, that's where he lives, that's where he dwells, we got to make sure that's clean, to the tabernacle, to the temple, to now Jesus has come and because of the blood poured out on the cross and us as the dwelling place of God, now it's not just that my sins have been covered or atoned for, but my sins have been washed away and I've been cleansed and made new. Why? Because I am sacred space. Like that's the beauty of it. When Jesus came to fulfill it, yes, like you don't have to do that anymore, but I'm gonna take it to a whole nother level. I'm not just going to take a goat and have them get rid of your sin. I will do that, but I will also cleanse you and make you new and impart to you my righteousness. So now it's not about what you do or what you don't do, but it's about what I've done because I've cleansed you as my space. That's the, that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of the new covenant. And The day of atonement, we see the two goats. We see the one offered for sacrifice and we see the one on which the sin is placed and carried out. That was the one day a year where their sin was removed. Think about it. Every other day they would go there and they would see the remnants of their sacrifice. That's from the bull I offered last week. That's from the sin I committed yesterday. Constant visual reminder of their sin. In one day out of the year, there was this goat upon which the high priest would confess all the sins. How'd that work? I don't know. Like, did, you know, Tom come? He's like, hey, here's everything I did this year. Aaron, can you make sure you include these? No, because then it would have been like the month of atonement. So it's just like a general, like all the sin, all the trespass, all the things that we've done, all the things that we don't even know that we did. We're just going to hit the reset button and go take it on. Get out of here. Leave the camp. Go into the wilderness. Why? Because this is sacred space. That's unholy space. You take our sin into the unholy space, never to be seen again. And the beautiful thing is, like, we don't have to wait for Yom Kippur. We don't have to wait for the one day a year for our sin to be removed. But because Jesus fulfilled it, we see him in both. 
We see him as the goat through the blood of which our sins are atoned for, but we also see him taking away our sin. 1 John tells us that. I'm going to put that first verse up there. If we're living in the light as God's in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus as our sacrifice cleanses us. Now I can be cleansed because of the perfect sacrifice. Blood of a goat, blood of a bull couldn't cleanse me, but... The blood of the perfect lamb could. He goes on because not just does his blood cleanse us, but in chapter three, he says, you know that Jesus came to take away our sin. So not only has his blood as sacrifice cleansed us, but him as the scapegoat has borne upon himself the weight of my sin. The Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to become sin, that we might be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And he has removed my sin as far as the east is from the west. Why not north and south? Because you go north far enough, you'll start going south, but you can't stop going east or west. It's gone. It's out of here, never to be seen from again. Now, what does this mean to us as New Testament believers? Because we can sit here and be like, man, thank God I don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. And yes, I'm thankful that I don't have to have 365 bulls in my backyard for every day that my kids sin, because they do. And myself, <laughs> not just you. We all, we all do, right? Like, but, but thank God I don't have to have a stable of sacrifices at the ready in case I do something. Thank God that we're under the new covenant, that we don't have to rely on, on bulls and goats and heifers in these things. Hebrews chapter 9 tells us that, right? It says, under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and, and heifers could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. But just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. How do I worship under the old system? By offering sacrifices of bulls. How do I worship under the new system? By offering myself as a living sacrifice in light of the mercy of God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself as a perfect sacrifice for our sin. Go back. I didn't finish. I was talking for a long time, but that was just like ad lib. That's why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people. Go ahead so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance. Now, a couple weeks ago, I told you, watch for the pattern. What's the pattern? The pattern is redemption, consecration, and inheritance. All throughout scripture, you will see that pattern. God works in that way. He will redeem, he will consecrate, he will give inheritance. We see it in the scripture as well. Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice. Why? Redemption. So that all those who are called, those that have been set apart, consecration, can receive the eternal inheritance that God has promised. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins that they committed under the first covenant. Thank God that I'm not under the old covenant. That Jesus came and he established a new covenant with his body and with his blood. But here's the thing. How many of us still shackle ourselves to that old law? Because the Bible tells us we've been cleansed. We've been washed. We've been made new. The old things are gone and all things become new. And what we do is we come into church and we sing about God's goodness and God's faithfulness and God's mercy and God's grace. And it's like, thank God for the new covenant. We take communion once a month and it's like, Jesus, your blood has washed me and cleansed me. But here's the thing, it's once and for all. It's once and for all, but we come and we're like, God, thank you for cleansing me last week, but I'm going to take this little bit and I'm just going to carry the shame for a little bit. Say, so God, I know your word says that those that are in Christ, you know, they're, they're new creations and there's now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And 
Your blood has cleansed me and washed me and your spirit's given me a new heart and a new mind and a new spirit. Like, I, I know that your word says that, but I'm just gonna carry the shame with me a little bit longer to remind me of my sin, to shackle me to my death, to shackle me to the pain. I'm just gonna hold on to this bitterness and unforgiveness just a little bit longer. And Jesus is like, why? I paid for that. I took that. I washed that. I cleansed that. That's under my blood. Why are you picking up? Why are you calling unclean what I've called clean? God, I'm just a wretch. Yes, you are. But guess what? A wretch in Jesus is a new creation in his righteousness imputed to you. When God looks at you, he doesn't see the, the weight of your mistakes and your sin. He sees the perfection of his son, Jesus Christ. Why? Because of the new covenant that's been established. Yes. I don't have to carry that stuff anymore. But when I leave it at Jesus's feet, I get to leave it there and walk away knowing that I'm brand new. And because I'm brand new, his spirit will come and make dwelling in me and then empower me to live out the life that he's called me to, that the law could never get me to live. I can't, I can't be good according to the old law, but the spirit in me helps me live a life of sanctification, being daily transformed into his image. Amen? Stand with me this morning. I've gone too long. It's a lot. I know. It's like drinking from a water, a fire hydrant fire hose, whatever you want to say. It's like, oh, it's a lot. A couple things, again, like, hey, Leviticus, we're, we're in numbers on Wednesday, so like three more days, we're there, all right? We're in numbers in a little bit. We'll get back into some narrative. There's some stories coming around. Spies are getting ready to go into the promised land, and then these serpents come and attack a bunch of Israelites, and Moses takes a stick. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. <laughs> Don't give up. Stay with it. If you're single, remember the line. My church started reading numbers this week and I realized I don't have yours. If you need to write that down, write it down, do what you need to do. But today, here's, here's the thing. Like, as we're reading through chronologically and I knew this day was coming. Like Leviticus was just like that one Sunday circled on my calendar. It's like, what am I gonna do? I hope that through the anointing of the Spirit and Him anointing not just the words, but anointing your ears that as you walk out today. No, there might not be like daily life application unless you want to go to like Leviticus 18 and don't have sex with your mom and your aunt and your neighbor and your sister and your stepsister. Like all that's in there. Like if, yes, that applies to you, but like it's not full of like daily application, but the application is this, knowing that, that we, as disciples of Jesus, as followers of Christ, as those who have been washed and cleansed in his blood. We can appreciate the fulfillment of all of that because Jesus isn't just our sacrifice, but he's our priest. He's the one who went into God's presence and mediated between man and God and brought back relationship that was lost in the garden. He's the goat of sacrifice. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the festivals and the, the feasts that we celebrate every day of every year. And it's not just the, the sacrifices that we offer, but it's the times of celebration as well. So for us as New Testament believers, no, I don't have to. But that's only because Jesus did. 
God, help us to live with a covenant mindset, being eternally grateful for the price that you pay. God, we love you and we thank you. Jesus, we thank you that, that you are the fulfillment of the law. God, we thank you that as we've read throughout Exodus and as we're going to start reading again in Numbers, you loved your people enough to just put up with our nonsense and our complaining and our grumbling and our rebellion, blatant rebellion against you. And yet in spite of ourselves, you came and made your dwelling among us. Jesus, in spite of ourselves, the word became flesh and you came and dwelt with your people, not just in a tent, but you walked among. And God, in spite of ourselves, you sent us the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. We are so not worthy. And yet, Jesus, because of your blood, you have cleansed and washed and purified and made new. So that now I don't have to enter sacred space, but I can walk around as sacred space being cleansed for your use. If you're here today and maybe you've never, you've never taken hold of that promise, you've never entered into that covenant relationship with God, here's what the Bible says, that anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord would be saved, that if you would just believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, that your name would be written into the book of life. And so today, I'm not gonna lead you in a prayer, but I'm just going to challenge you to pray that from your heart. Just say, Jesus, be Lord of my life. Lead me and guide me. Make me brand new. Wash me and cleanse me. Fill me with your spirit. Lord, for each and every one of us today, help us to go as consecrated, set apart, holy people. Because that's what you've called us to be, a royal priesthood, a holy nation set apart for you, daily being transformed into your image that we might show your likeness and your character in your heart to the world around us. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you. Have a great week. Here at Dream City Omaha, we're all about three things. Helping each other discover Christ, recover identity, or uncover purpose. We hope that this message helps serve one of those three goals. And we encourage you to check out our past sermon series and online classes, no matter where you are in your walk with Christ.